Well, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn your Bibles open there to that portion of God's holy word that I read to you in your hearing. It's important that we have our Bibles open there in 2 Kings chapter 12, in the verses that I read to you earlier in your hearing. Do you remember last time in chapter 11, last Lord's Day, as we now continue to go on in our regular systematic expository preaching through God's word? In chapter 11, we saw the death of wicked Queen Athaliah, Queen of Judah in the south, for just six years after her son Ahaziah died. Queen Athaliah, if you remember, was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, two wicked people in the north. We're thinking here of Athaliah in the south. She we know these two families were related. Judah in the south and Israel in the north were now separated ever since the day of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. The kingdom has been split. But now through marriage, family lines have joined these two kingdoms, as it were. But they are separated nonetheless. God has separated them. And we remember the family of Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they really introduced this Baal worship into Israel. We know it was there before even Israel came into Canaan, into the promised land, but it was they that introduced it, we could say, to the people of Israel. At first there was this golden calf worship, and that has continued, and still is continuing even now. And that was brought under Jeroboam, who was a pragmatist, who didn't want the people of Israel, after the split between Judah and Israel, didn't want Israel to go and to worship in Jerusalem three times a year. The Lord had commanded the men over 20 years and up to go three times a year. But he feared that if the men of Israel went to Jerusalem to worship, that the two nations will be amalgamated once again into one nation. Now this daughter of King Ahab, Ahab was the king of Israel, he's now passed. She was married to King Jehoram, and they bore a son, Ahaziah. And he has been killed, hasn't he, by Jehu. And so when King Ahaziah died, she ruled as a queen for some six years. And when she became queen, remember last week, she killed all the seed royal, the prospective men who might be king in Judah to follow in the line of David. And we said last week that behind all of this was Satan, because we know that there in Genesis 3.15, God had promised to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would eventually come into this world, and that seed of the woman would be the Lord Jesus but there was always a godly seed from Seth right through to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are the godly, there are the righteous, there are the Lord's people, and then there are the lost people. And there is, as we see throughout the Old Testament, this constant conflict between the just and the unjust, between the righteous and the unrighteous. But unknown to Queen Athaliah, the sister of Ahaziah, Jehoshiba, took one of the little infant boys of that dead king Ahaziah. Can you believe it? Her grandson, Athaliah's grandson, and she hid him in the temple. And uh, he was spared. And remember in the seventh year, when that little boy was seven years old, the priest was keeping him. Jehadiah was keeping him in the temple. Jehosheba was the sister of Ahaziah. Well, they brought him out, and there was a, a pact made, wasn't there, between all the chief rulers there at the temple of the Lord. And uh, remember how Jehadiah gave them the spears and the swords of David from all the spoils of generation past. Now they're being used to protect this king who is going to be. And they protected him that day and made him king. 
And Athaliah, remember, she, she heard the, the shout of jubilation and joy of this young boy, now pronounced as king. And she cried out, traitor, traitor. Of course, she was the great traitor. She was the great enemy, wasn't she, to Judah. She thought she could thwart the plans and the purposes of Almighty God. But my friends, God was proving himself once again true to his promise to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And as I said last week, despite this little boy being preserved, and we will see it in this chapter, and certainly as we turn to Second Chronicles, we'll see he's not very thankful after all. His life has been spared. He's been put on a throne. And at first, he appears to be a genuine believer. And he even does some very commendable things. And this ought to be a warning, my friends, to us all here today. Not everybody who says they're a Christian and may even give an appearance of a Christian are really born again. And you will see it. It's not in this chapter, but you'll see it as we turn to Second Chronicles later on. This is why it's so important let me say, and I believe this, God has deliberately placed, we have Second Kings and we also have Second Chronicles. I believe God has buried treasures in his word so that the casual believer is never blessed. The casual reader and believer is never blessed. Let me say this, unless you mine the Word of God. Unless you study it, you will never be blessed. Unless you have a real zeal to read God's Word and to read it properly. That's why you should have your Bible open right now. And not just be hearing what I have to say, but reading with your own eyes. Taking in not only through the ear gate, but with your eye gate. Knowing where these pages of Scripture are. That you will know God is to be sought. The one who truly seeks God with all of his heart will know the blessing of this God. But if you, if you treat God's word lightly, and if you don't dig deep into his word, my friend, you'll never be blessed. We are not to be casual readers of God's word, but we are to be studious. We, as it were, are to be scribes of God's word. And I would ask you that this morning? Have you been in God's word this week? Well, now is the time to begin. So, as we come to this chapter, chapter 12, the first thing I want to point out to you is that, uh, just to avoid any confusion, this young king's name, we read, in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash, began to reign. Well, that's the same boy, Joash, who is in chapter 11. And then again, if you notice, if you look at Second Chronicles 24, and if perhaps you keep your Bible marker there because we'll turn to that passage a little later on. We read in Second Chronicles 24, 1, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. So his name is Joash or Jehoash. These are just shortened versions of the same name. It's a shortened version. And his name also was Zibiah of Beersheba. So we know it's the same person when we get later on to Second Chronicles 24. So he is called Jehoash or Joash as well. Now, first of all, I think and trust that you will see with me this morning, and here's an important lesson, something you and I need to examine with our own hearts. Have a look with me there in Second Kings chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign, and forty years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebah of Bathsheba. Now notice. And Jehoash 
did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiada, the priest, or Jehoiadiah, the priest, instructed him. So what we have here in the first place is respect and honor for men, but not for God. I hope you see it in the text. Look at the text. It says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days wherein Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. But it was not so afterward, my friend. And what we have here really is a man who is a respecter of persons. You think about it, he owed so much to this priest, didn't he? He did that which was right even in the sight of the Lord, that which was pleasing so long as this priest who was behind saving his life, he did what was right. But as soon as the old man dies, you see what sort of a person he really is. And this is solemn. And there may be even people here. Maybe you're here because somebody is compelling you to come to church. Maybe you're just doing the right things because you respect a certain person. Or maybe they've done you a great favor and, well, you don't want to let them down. But you have no concern for the Lord. Now, this priest was moved by the Spirit of God to save this little boy's life. And what we need to see is, first of all, if there's ever been any good done to us in our life, the Lord is behind that. The Lord is always the first cause of any good in our life. Do you realize that? Maybe even your parents that he's given you. It's the Lord that's given you. Maybe you have a good employer. Who is it that gave you that? It was the Lord. Any good. Yes, while we must look up to people and acknowledge them, we have to look to one who is much higher. And you see, there's a great danger, let me say it, in merely pleasing men. But what happens when those godly influences are taken away from your life? You have nothing. And you prove just to be a, a lost person. Well, that's what we have here. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but then we're given the reason why he did so. All the days wherein Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. You see, it was even Jehoiada, the priest, that was telling him what to do. I'll do it because he says so. He instructed him in these things. Do this. Let me ask you a question right now. You may have people that you look up to, but do you do what is right and honorable to the Lord because you love the Lord? Not simply because somebody else is telling you to do that. That's what I fear. Especially amongst young men. You might even look up to somebody a mature Christian. And, uh, well, you're doing it because he says so. And if I don't, I'm only going to upset him. But don't you see the danger you're in? It's right to acknowledge and to look up to that person. But what happens if God takes that person away? You have nothing. You have no real life and dedication to God. All you did was serve men. That ought to make us tremble. That was this young man. And you, you can understand, I suppose. His life was spared. Consider it. He lost all of his brothers. He lost everybody. He lost everything. His whole family. He owed everything to him. But there's a great danger in that, isn't there? In just serving men. Beware. It's right to respect and acknowledge people. And no doubt we feel some obligation to godly people. 
and to be under their guidance. But you know, you can do all of that with no regard to the Lord. And my friends, that is a perilous state to be in. It's empty. It's to be godless. And what we will see is the narrative unfolds that he is actually, you will see a terrible change in him. He's not a good man. He gives all the appearance, especially now as you'll see what, how he instructs that the Lord's house be repaired. And you've got to appreciate that there was a great spiritual decline, even in Judah in the south now. Our minds here are turned to Judah in the south, not Israel. And things were quite bad. Look at verse 3. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. Now, it seems that even Baal worship was dealt with, because we know Ahaziah had been involved in this to varying degrees. But... Although there was, it seems, reform, and most of this is because of this godly priest. We remember how he dealt with all apostasy. And this is all taking place because of the instruction of Jehoiada. But notice, but the high places were not taken away. What are these high places? Well, they were places where... The Lord, the true God of heaven and earth, were worshipped, but these places were never sanctioned by God. God commanded that he was to be worshipped in that one place, that sacrifice was only to be burnt there in Jerusalem. Yes, there were synagogues, but there were to be no high places in the groves where the Lord God was to be offered sacrifices, notice, and burnt incense. Those places still continued. Why? Because people liked them. But they were never sanctioned by God. Those places of unauthorized worship were never destroyed. It was against God, these high places. There were to be no high places. There were to be no groves. Only was this sacrifice to be given in Jerusalem. Now, for a long time, you see, these high places, you could go right back, even just after the split of the kingdom, even before that, there were those high places. Even godly Jehoshaphat, he never dealt with those. He didn't deal with them. And they continued and have continued on for a long, long time now. And the longer something like that is there, the harder it seems to get rid of. Because it was done in the name of the Lord. And people are like that today. Look at the charismatic church. People say, well, I like it. I like this kind of worship. And it's hard to get rid of that worship because people actually think because they're doing it in the name of the Lord, it's okay. It's not okay. God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. When you look at the charismatic church today, and they say they love God, and they're doing all these things in the name of the Lord, and that is, can you believe it, people falling on the ground, acting like animals, behaving like animals, singing sensual songs, no reverence, and when you look at it and you watch it, it's frankly embarrassing. It is to me. I don't know about you, but it is very embarrassing to me where men look more like fools rather than wise. How hard, though, it is to get rid of it. Because people say, well, I'm doing it for God. And it's gone on for so long. And God's allowed it to go on. Yes, but it's false. And God's never approved of it. And so it is here. It carries on. How difficult, secondly, it is to get rid of false worship. And although something might be done in the name of the Lord, friend, and somebody might even feel in their heart it's right, it doesn't make it right. There are many things God has clearly said 
that we should not do. Now, we are only to do what God has said. If you look at verses 4 to verse 16, we see in verse 7 that while this is taking place, Jehoiada is still alive. Now, we don't know how far his uh, influence stretched with regards to these high places, but he maybe even has tried with this king. We don't know to deal with this. But I want you to see there's an apparent commitment to the Lord of this young king. Verse 4, And Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passeth the account. And this, by the way, there are three areas of giving here. The first here has to do with Exodus 30 in the verse 3. The half shekel of the sanctuary was to be given. It's also called the atonement money. The money that every man is sat at. That would be the uh, atonement money. And again, it's referred to in Leviticus 27, verse 1. And that has to do with the temple tax also. And all the money that cometh into any man's heart, these would be freewill offerings. To bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take it to them and every man of his acquaintance and let them repair the breaches of the house. The breaches would be where something is broken and it needs to be repaired. So what was happening is there was no due upkeep of the, the Lord's temple. This was Solomon's great temple and it, it wasn't being looked after. And this seemed to be Jehoash's concern. We don't know where the money was going. Obviously it wasn't going for the upkeep. But now he has a concern. Verse 6, But it was so that in the three and twentieth year of King Joash, the priests had not repaired the breaches of the house. So there was obviously a, you know, a decline spiritually. The priests weren't obeying. Perhaps they were taking some of the money, siphoning it. And we notice here how Jehoiada the priest he bores a hole in the box so that the money is put there so nobody can take it out. Well, it's quite a severe thing to have to do. You can't even trust the men in the house. And you can see here Jehoash's concern for the temple of the Lord. And it's a right concern. Anyway, things are put right. If you notice there, uh, the, the lid is made and a hole is bored out and so on. And the money was found in the house of the Lord and they repaired but in then verse 13, how be it, they were not made for the house of the Lord, bowls of silver, and so on. It only went so far. And that's something to note. Now, one thing we must say about this little section here, while it was commendable that this repair was ordered, and it was by the king, yet us remember that good things can be done out of ungodly motives. Remember that. Good things can be done out of ungodly motives. And sometimes, you consider it, it costs this king nothing. It really. Where did the money come from? It came from the people. It came from the people of Judah. He didn't have to pay a penny. Or maybe he did put in a portion. But it ultimately came... And sometimes, you know, we can easily have people in the church that say, well, why don't we do this, pastor? Why don't we do that, pastor? And yet often, I'm not saying that's always the case, but sometimes it's not going to cost that person anything. They're full of ideas. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? But there's no cost to them. And what you will see is that this is just how this young man is. There's no cost to him. And by the way, as we will see, he gives everything away. When we turn to 2 Chronicles 24, he gives things of the temple away. So quickly, he gives everything up when he comes under great pressure. Now, we can think about 
money quite easily, I'm sure. And you know, you might be easily impressed. I remember as a young boy, I was taken to the Vatican. I was taken to St. Peter's. And I was shown the grandeur of all these paintings. And I was quite impressed. And you can think of how long maybe it took Michelangelo to paint and to do all of these works. But friends, you could even turn your mind, I suppose, to the charismatic church today. And uh, the charismatic church will spend a fortune on stadiums and big screens for a big audience. But they have no regard for God. You can have a great regard for a building and even bow down. That's what the Jews did in Christ's day. They, they worshipped the temple. And they even swore by the temple, the gold of the temple, and have no concern for God. Have more concern for one who usurps God's word, the Pope, who speaks so-called ex-cathedra. You can have more regard for men than for the God of the temple. If you just turn with me to Isaiah 66. I want you to see something. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And the Lord is saying this, where is the house that ye build unto me? And by the way, this is much later on in time. Let me read again and give you some of you a chance to get there. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. Now notice this. He says, take your eye off the temple for a minute. Take your eye off heaven and earth. For all these things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is a poor and a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my word. You see, that's what it basically boils down to, my friend. Do you love God? If you love him, you love what he has to say. It's not about a building. We've said it before, a church is not about a building. That's why we call it the chapel. The church are the people of God. And uh, we might have a tendency here to look at a passage like this and say, yeah, well, this is what we should be about. And there are many people saying, you know, oh, we need a building. It'd be wonderful to have a building, my friend. But that is not the need. The great need is living stones. Peter speaks of the church and he says, ye are living stones coming unto God. Coming unto Christ, who is that chief cornerstone. And the one who truly belongs to the church is a living stone. And who fears God. He's not always talking about buildings. And you know, the many people, they, 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 I, I know people who are members of an Anglican church. And they will spend hours mowing the grass. Cleaning the toilets. But if you were to ask them, give me one verse of the Bible, they couldn't quote a verse of the Bible. They couldn't tell you the gospel. But that's their life. Looking after a building. Doing this, doing that. Feeding the hungry, the poor. That's their life. But they have no heart for God. God gave a place for worship. And by the way, the temple speaks of Christ. Paul tells us this in Hebrews 10. He says the things of the tabernacle were pictures of the true shadows of good things to come. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the ark. He is the manna. He's the word. He's the bunning rod. He is the, the, the lampstand, as it were. He's everything. And we are to learn of Christ. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said? 
destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. He was speaking of his body. The temple speaks of Christ. It was appointed of God, but we are not to look now, especially in the New Testament, to the temple. And this whole idea when Christ comes that there will be an earthly temple is a nonsense. The temple of God, we are told he will tabernacle with his people. Paul even says in the New Testament, Know ye not, ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, your body. And you see, Christian, the question is, does God live in you? If you say you're a Christian, if he does, you listen to his word. I want us to all take note of this young man here. He seems to be so taken up with the building. And he was right. It was a good thing. Nothing wrong. What he said was right. But friends, appearances can be very, very, very deceiving. Even somebody that goes to church but they can live like the devil the rest of the week. Just because somebody goes to church doesn't make them a Christian. It can be lost. Lost, as lost can be. The temple looked good. And even the, the temple looked good in Herod's day. Remember how the disciples uh, were taken up to that Mount Olivet and, and the Lord said, by the way, not one stone is going to be left here standing on another. 70 AD would all be destroyed. Remember what he said to the woman at the well. He, he said, ye worship that which ye know not. He says, the time will come when they that worship the hour cometh, he said. And now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Yeah, that's what he wants. God, he says, is spirit. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Lord said to that woman, he said in verse 21, The hour cometh when shall neither worship in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. It's going to pass. But God would have a people after his own heart. Now, Here's the thing, Joash didn't need to give anything. He looked impressive, he was calling for all this change, and it was right, but it cost him nothing. Now think of it, where this very temple was built, on what premise was it built? Yes, on God's commandment, but what happened there? Do you remember David numbered the men in his day, and the Lord sent a curse, didn't he, upon Israel? And 70,000 men died. There was a plague. And 70,000 men died. It was a horrific day. If you turn to 2 Samuel 24. And look at the difference between David and this young man, Joash. The very place where this temple was built. Just recalling the history. David had sinned. He numbered Israel, and when you were to number Israel, a tax was to be taken, the half shekel. That wasn't done. And a terrible plague came on Israel, because remember, he was going to rise up against the enemy. So the Lord sent, 2 Samuel 24, 15, a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. There died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. Now David didn't know what to do. And the Lord gave him three options. And David chose the one. And this was it. That there would be a sudden, short burst of God's wrath. And there was. But there was something else David had to do. He had to sacrifice to the Lord. And a man came up to him, a man by the name of Arana, and said to him, David, I've got all that you need for the sacrifice. I've got the threshing floor. I've got the animals. Here you go, David. It's all yours. You don't even have to pay for it. What did David say? No. 
This is my fault. Look down at verse 23. All these things did Arana, as a king give unto a king. And Arana said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Arana, Nay, no, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which does cost me nothing. My friend, a religion that costs you nothing is worth nothing. David acknowledged his fault here. And we read that after David bought the place, the Lord entreated the land and the plague was stopped. And this is the very place where the temple was built. That amazing. And that's the point. That's the whole point. This young man was all wind, hot air. And there are so many that are wind and hot air. Let's do this, let's do that. But it costs them nothing. Many people can be like this. Pastor asks you to do something. And their attitude is, yes, pastor, no, pastor, three bags full, pastor. But when you're gone, they don't fear God. God is going to take this godly priest away. And you're going to see how this young man behaves. I hope this is never true of any of our young men. But it ought to be as a warning to us all this morning. It's right to look up to people. But I tell you, it's, it's, it, it ought to send trembling in our hearts. If you just fear men, that's a danger. And you don't fear God. There may be many like Joash, full of ideas, but no heart for God. And that really is going to be the message now. Notice the Lord's displeasure. And you know now, you think about this, all that's taken place, this uh, taking care of the temple, putting things right, you'd think now, okay, the Lord's pleased with this. No, he's not. How do you know he's not? Well, the Lord sends the enemies. And you know when the Lord sends the enemies, you know he's not pleased. Because he is keeping to his covenant promise of Deuteronomy 28, isn't he? When the people do not hearken to him, he will send enemies. And it should be no surprise now that Haziel rises up. Of course, this is all prophesied. But he rises up against Judah and Israel. Look at verse 17. Then Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. And now notice, and Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem, which is, by the way, Judah. Where Joash is, or Jehoash. This was the chastening of the Lord, my friends. It's not only a fulfillment of 2 Kings 8, where Elisha went to Haziel and said to him, Remember, Haziel said, why weepest? And he said, because I know you're going to be king. Because he, he said, and I know that you're going to rip open mother's wombs. And you're going to destroy many. But friends, another reason the Lord is doing this is because the people really haven't repented. And we have an ungodly king here. Who is deceiving everybody. Now, basically, as we come to Jehoash here, he, what you see, as soon as Haziel comes up, look at verse 17b. What we see now is really where Jehoash's loyalty actually lay. Where his love, he had no love for the Lord, and where his loyalty lay. Think of what he's just said. He's commanded all the money be given, to the house of the Lord, but notice how quickly he gives it all up. And Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. That's Judah. And Je Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the hallowed things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram 
and Ahaziah, his father's kings of Judah, had dedicated. My, there's not even a fight in this young man. There's not even a prayer to the Lord. And all the gold was found in the treasures of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent it to Haziel, king of Syria. And he went away from Jerusalem. This is a humiliating payoff, isn't it? C can you not see? This young man has no spine, no love for the Lord, and he quickly gives over to the enemy. He was so quick to let it go. Why? Because he didn't really love the Lord. He didn't care about God. So please, don't be easily impressed with some people when they tell you they love God. But they don't. We are not to be fools. For him it was all show, it was all a charade. But God saw it right through it and God brought him to this testing place. Can you not see how we are struck at first with this new young king? Oh, he seems to be so impressive. But as soon as trial comes, he gives it all away. Why? Because he thought it was worthless. It wasn't worth anything to him. He pretended it was. We read in Scripture, buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. If you have the truth, if you really are changed, you'll never sell it, my friend. It's precious to you. I want to ask, are you saved? If you're saved, never sell the truth. Because there's nothing like the truth in all the world. And you'll be prepared to die for it, young man, young lady. If you truly have come to know and to love the Lord Jesus, you never let it go. You never let him go. You'll hold on. You may fall, you may stumble, but you'll hold on to Christ. And you'll pray, God, help me to never lose sight and love for my Lord Jesus. And if you do stumble, you will weep like Peter. When Peter denied the Lord, didn't he weep bitterly? But look at this young man. There's no fight in him. Now I want you to turn with me, because this is not the end. I said to you, we have to dig deep into God's word. Look, Second Chronicles 24, verse 15. We must turn to the fuller picture. Second Chronicles 24, 15. But Jehoadiah, that's the old priest, who looked after this young man, Joash, King Joash. We read, he waxed old and was full of days when he died. 130 years old was he when he died. Now you notice he was buried with the kings. He was such an honorable man in the land, they thought so highly of him. Verse 16, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings. This is unusual, isn't it? He was worthy of a king's burial, my friend. Why? Because he saved a young king. Jehoash, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Now notice, now after the death of Jehoadah, came the princes of Judah and made obeisance. That, that is, as soon as this godly priest, who was kind of like a father to jo, um, Joash, as soon as he dies, you've got these young princes. They come in and they, and they begin to flatter the young king. And we read, they came unto the king, then the king hearkened unto them. Now notice this. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served the groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah. Do you, do you see the fuller picture? He quickly turns away and they turn him away. And we read, 
and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Now notice, yet he, that is God, sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not give ear. So they heard prophets, and the prophets are coming to warn. God is angry at what is going on here. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. Notice, the son, behold, of Jehoadah, the priest. This very priest that saved this young king's life, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. Now notice, and they conspired against him and stoned him with stones. Now notice, look at the commandment of the king. Jehoash commands that they kill the son of the priest that saved him. It's incredible. This young king who owed everything to the king, who saved him and who treated him as a father, orders the death of his son. You couldn't write it. You couldn't dream it up. But my friends, that's the human heart. Do you not see the unspeakable irony of all of this? And he died a slow death, no doubt. It was a stoning, just like Stephen in Acts. We have that there, don't we, in Acts 7. Notice verse 22b. And when he died, that is Zechariah, and by the way, he was a true prophet. He said, the Lord, look upon it and require it. And the Lord did require it. The Lord judged. And the enemy came. So lastly, Joash judged by God. But unmissed by men. Look at verse 23 of Second Chronicles 24. Unmissed by men. Judged by God, but unmissed by men. Verse 23. And it came to pass at the end of the year that the host of Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people. Isn't that interesting? And sent all the spoil of them unto the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men and the Lord delivered a very great host into their land. Look at that. The Lord delivered a very great host into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. You see, God is not a respecter of persons. Look what he did. So they executed judgment against Joash. And the Lord is behind all of this. He sees right through a sham religion, a pretense. And when they departed from him, for they left him, notice, in great diseases. He had had diseases, difficulties. His own servants conspired against him for the blood of the sons of Jehodiah the priest. They had a conscience, obviously, and slew him on his bed, and he died. And they buried him in the city of David. Now notice the irony of this. Think of it. But they buried him not in the sepulchres of the kings. But they did bury the priest there. Isn't that amazing? You see, these small details we should not ignore. God sees right through a superficial service for him. He really does. If we love the Lord, we will be very, very Quick to see him honored. But how quick was this king to see God dishonored? He just gives up everything. Take it. There's no loyalty to God. There was no faith. Was God not able to deliver this nation from the Syrians? 
But of course God was. The point is, this man never really had the truth. That's why I said, quoting there from Proverbs 23, 23, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding, says Solomon. God will preserve them that fear him. Those that fear the Lord have nothing to fear. But if you fear men, woe betide you, my friend. Don't do things because it pleases people. That's a great error and a warning I must impress upon every mind here today. Fear God. We notice here how his servants arose and made a conspiracy. They smote him, and he died. It's a great temptation, isn't it, to draw conclusions about people who are full of words, but there's no action. What you are in private is all you really are before God. You can do something in front of others. Many people will try to impress you, but beware. And don't be those who try to impress men, but do what God says in his word. Paul says, be followers of me, and mark them which do so as we have for an ensample. For many walk, he says, whom I have often told you of, and now tell you weeping. They are the, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You can be an enemy even sat in the church of Christ. If you do not obey him and follow what he says. Another lesson as we close. Profession of loyalty to the Lord. Not only because of regard of other men is not real and it doesn't last long. It didn't last long here, did it? Be obedient. The unregenerate heart, secondly, can be self-deceived and conceal itself for a very long time. We see that here in the case of this young man. Another lesson is prophecy is always fulfilled. Do you remember here where the son of the priest, his name is Zechariah, said, the Lord look upon it? The Lord did. God's word is always fulfilled. Interestingly, with regards to Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, his prayer was very different, wasn't it? That was prophecy as well. What did Stephen pray? Lord, lay not this to their charge. Who was there? The Apostle Paul. Thank the Lord. And for those who have sinned and who trust in the Lord, their sin fell on Christ. Above all, the one that was not spared, the Lord Jesus. We think here of Zechariah, who died, and judgment came. But for Christ, it had to be. Judgment had to be met upon him. It's interesting, the Jews cried this. Remember what they cried? His blood be upon us. Yeah, but for many in a positive way. His blood. Our, his blood covers our sin, doesn't it? We believe. What a merciful God we have in Jesus Christ. May we love him and fear him and delight in his ways. Amen.